um, just kind of share about having a purpose. You know, Judd asked uh, if we could te- if I could share on on being missional and having a a plan and having a purpose and um, and so as, as as we get into this, I want to go ahead and if you want to turn to John chapter 15, we're going to share um, through scripture. But this past Christmas, like I said, it was exciting. I uh, I enjoyed it. I had fun. I got um, not a ton of gifts. I didn't get what I really wanted. I felt like Ralphie in the Christmas story where you know, he wants that BB gun. You know, what I really wanted was, was that bow and arrow, you know, for, for hunting. And I was hoping Cam would be like, hey, what's that over there? And it wasn't. It wasn't that well, it wasn't the story. What she did get me was, uh, and it's true, completely 100% true, she got me running tights for winter. So I'm thinking, guys, if, you, if your wife ever gives you running tights, either you look really good in tights, or she's saying you better, you better get your booty in shape because you do not look good in tights. So um, thanks. I am excited about them, though. So if you see me running and, uh, and I cover myself, you'll know it's me. Um, but that's me. I'm going to, you know, my goal is, as everyone, maybe your news resolution is to lose weight. I want to, um, I want to, I want to get in shape. We all want to. Gymnasiums or, or excuse me, like rec centers and places are hungry to see you guys get there in January. But that's a huge New Year's resolution for a lot of people. And this message is not about that. Um, but it is about what, what this next year, what this previous year held and what this next year is going to hold. You know, as we look at scripture, what I wanted to do was kind of talk about our purpose and having a mission and having a purpose in 2013, not only for our walk with Christ, but also our body as, a, as believers, our relationship with each other, and also our relationship and our purpose with our culture. Those three things, Christ, Christians, and culture. And so as we, as we get into this, you know, I want to kind of... Um, set it up. If you're in John chapter 15, verse 1 through 11 is the first portion we're going to read. But I want to kind of set it up and and share what's happened. If you look at the previous couple chapters um, in the gospel of John, Jesus in chapter 13 has washed his disciples' feet. We know the story where where they say, what are you doing, basically? We're supposed to be washing your feet. And and Christ says, no, you don't understand. I have to do this. And he says in the first, first portion of 13, he says, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So Christ here is washing his disciples' feet. He knows what's going to come. He knows that he has to leave. He's basically um, telling his goodbyes to his disciples. He's, he's basically saying, hey, this is it, guys. I'm preparing. You guys don't fully understand what I'm doing, but I, I'm planning on leaving you. You don't understand right now, but this is what's happening. And later in 13, Jesus predicts his betrayal. Talks about that someone will betray him. One of you guys will betray me. And of course, we know that story with, no, no, we won't. In 14, he comforts his disciples. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Maybe some of you had loved ones who, who were on their deathbed and they've, they've comfort, tried to comfort you. You've comforted them, but they've tried to comfort you now and say, don't worry. I'm going with the Lord. I'm, it's going to be better. And they begin to comfort you. That's the image I get when Christ here is talking to his disciples and he says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. I have to do this. And you have no idea what this represents and what this means right now, but, but, but you have to trust me. And then he goes on in 14 to promise the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll send you a helper. And he says, it's gonna, he's, this Holy Spirit is going to dwell on you. And as believers, we know that if we follow Christ and we've accepted Christ, that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. 
And so Jesus here is saying goodbye. And he's about to face a brutal death, the crucifixion. And he knows what's coming. And he continues in John chapter 15, verse 1 through 11. He says this. I'm the true vine and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone abides, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If anyone abides in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Having a purpose in Christ. Here we see this first portion. Christ is, is, is talking and he's, talking to, he's speaking with his disciples. And what does he say? He goes, I am the true vine. Is how he starts out. He goes, we are the branches. Apart from me, in one portion of this, he goes, you can do nothing. Some of us don't like that because we, we think we can do a lot of things on our own. And we get to this point where we just finally hit that wall and we have to come to God. And we have to say, God, help me. I'm, I'm done. I've, I've tried it in my own strength. Matter of fact, here in this portion of scripture, he says, abide in me ten times. So you look at the scripture and you're like, man, God, Christ is trying to relay a message to his disciples. He's trying to tell me something. And if if a lot of times when we read scripture and we read this, we say, okay, that's that's a good portion. But we we have to put ourselves in in the, the shoes of or the sandals of the first century Jews, the disciples right there. Imagine you're sitting down and Christ is talking to you and he begins to quote this, this portion of scripture. He begins to share his words. He says, I am the true vine. And if you're there, you get what the vine represents. For us, we don't really, we, we get it. Maybe you've studied it and you understand. But, but for them, it meant something more. You know, almost like if I were to, to, um, to talk to you about peaches. Say, oh, in Palisade, they have great peaches. They, they begin to, oh, yeah, this is how you do it. And, oh, if you could ever go there, the peaches are amazing because they're just super sweet. You get it, right? But if I talk to a farmer who lives in Palisade, who grows peaches, that peach represents something more. It represents maybe generations that his family has been there. It represents his livelihood. It represents um, much more than just a piece of fruit. He, he understands and he puts himself in that, that position of understanding how much difficult or how much hard work it takes. He, he maybe uh, remembers times when he was out in the sun picking these peaches and working hard and his hands are, are dirty and he understands the long hours. So he gets it. It means more to him. Same as if I were to talk to you guys about a powder day, right? Imagine go, getting up on the morning. In the morning, you go by yourself and it's snowed 10 inches. You're up on the lift and not a single person is there. 
I've done that. And, and a lot of us have done that. And you're up there and you, 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 you get off the, the lift and you put your goggles on, you strap on and, and you, you look down and you're like, there's nobody coming. You look at the chairlift. There's nobody on that lift. And you're just like, yes. And you go down and you start carving and powders flying everywhere. And you know that feeling and you see somebody else and you maybe say hi and they say hi and you guys are both smiling. And you're just like, I love this, right? And you're going, you're cutting through the trees. You guys know that feeling. And then you maybe just sit there and you're like, oh, there's nothing like it. So if I were to talk to you about powder days, you'd get that. You'd get that image and you'd get that experience and you'd be able to remember sitting in the, in the forest for me, it'd be falling in the forest, but you're there and, and you, you, you relate to it. Here, if you're a first century Jew and, and Christ is talking about the vine, you have mixed emotions because you know scripture. You know, you know what, what the Old Testament has said and, and this time you understand and, and you connect with that experience as a first century Jew. The vine represented something. It represented the nation of Israel. And so in Psalm chapter 80... Verse 8 and 9, it says this. You, bought, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. You know this scripture. You know that the vine represented the nation of Israel. And you look at other portions of scripture. If you're a disciple, you understand this. And you see in Isaiah chapter 5 that it talks about the vine. And often it talks about the nation of Israel as the vine. But the reason you have mixed emotions is because often the vine was represented negatively. In Jeremiah 2.21, maybe you're thinking of this as Christ is, is standing before you. He says, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? And so you know this. And in contrast, in contrast Jesus is saying, I am the vine. And not only am I the vine, but he starts up by saying, I am the true vine. Second, the vine in the Old Testament often represented the whole nation. It, it always represented the whole nation of Israel, never a single individual person. And now Christ is coming and he's, he's right there before you and he says, I am the true vine. Not this whole nation, me. And thirdly, I want to read this as the commentator says, whenever the Old Testament prophets made reference to vine or vineyard, they always had in mind the imminent judgment that God would bring upon his disobedient people. In other words, the idea of a vine would not bring positive images to your mind. You would be reminded of vine twigs that are good for nothing but as firewood. And to hear the Gospel of John, he, he talks about, or Christ is saying, he is the true vine. And so they look at that and think, man, what's our purpose with Christ? What was our purpose with Christ in 2012? What was your purpose? What was my purpose? Was it to just, okay, I'm saved, I'm good? Or was it, man, I, God, I want to know you better. I know people who have marriages where they've gotten married and, 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 and they haven't talked or connected and really grown together. You know that if you're married, there's, there's those, there could be those seasons where you're just not growing close to your husband or wife and, and you have to make an effort, right? You have to make an effort. Dates writing them letters, getting them flowers, buying them tights, things like that. You've got you to gotta make that effort. And so here we see Christ is saying, I am the true vine. 
And so the question is, do we see Christ that way? Do we see him as, as a true vine, something that, that brings life and that we cannot live without? Or is it something that we just kind of, eh, okay. See, that's our focus. We have to keep in mind that Christ is our true vine. He goes, I am the vine, in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding in Christ, that's, that's so important. This portion of Scripture, I, I, that was one of the first verses I read when I, I first came to know the Lord. I, I looked at that, and it just hit me. It just, I just said, man, I, I cannot do anything apart from Christ. If I try to love people with, with Ben's love, and if I try to um, discipline my kids out of my own flesh, and if I try to, and trust me, I do that a lot, um, if I try to um, love my neighbor after they hate me and after they reject me, if I try to um, do anything outside of Christ, it's just my own flesh. And that doesn't go very far. Man, some of you have, have jobs where you're working with people and, and, uh, and you have to pray, oh, God, help me because I cannot stand this person. Maybe you have to do that today as you have to greet each other, right? But as the body, man, that's our, that's our, that's our calling is, is we have to see Christ as, as that true vine. He goes, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's how he ends that portion of scripture. And I think of joy and I think, man, here's here's Christ saying that your joy may be full. I think of Paul, the Apostle Paul. And we, we shared that this morning uh, uh, in Sunday school. Ben Daly shared just joy. And it was it was this amazing picture of of what joy was. And here, Paul in, uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he goes, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And I love that because Paul is, is sharing this. He's in prison. And you're thinking, man, even Paul, an apostle, a, a human being like us, would, would be in prison saying, I've, I've learned to be content whatever circumstance. There's a guy who knew his purpose. He knew his purpose. I think it's important for us to know our purpose. I'll tell you, I, um, I'm not a huge football fan. I like baseball. That's my baseball. It would be baseball, maybe football. And then it would be like, at the very bottom, it would be like curling. And then right below that, it would be soccer. So, um, you're welcome. <laughs> but that's where it would be. I would be, it would be baseball. Baseball is it. And I love baseball, and I never understood the game of baseball until I, I played. And I was on the field, and I knew how much thinking goes into it, you know. And, and as I, I started thinking about this illustration of, of the batters. How many, how many batters are in the lineup? Take a guess. Nine. Nine, exactly. Who said that? Yes. So nine batters. You know, a lot of times I, I remember you think, okay, well, the coach, the manager must just get nine players. They're like, all right, guys, go. But every individual player on that lineup, in that lineup, makes or breaks a team. There's a specific skill and a specific um, purpose that each one serves. For example, the very first batter, the leadoff batter, that's what they call him. He has to have good speed. He has to have a good eye. And he has to be a good base runner. Reason is because he, he has to get on base. That's, that's, his, that's his goal. 
That's all their goals, but that's his specific, you've got to be able to steal. The second batter, it's not just, okay, you, you're good, you're, go for it. No, this basic second hitter, which is called the second hitter, um, has to have a good eye. He has to be really good at bunting. He has to be a good contact hitter. So not necessarily get to first base, but just enough to advance the first player, the first baseman to second. But the thir- second, third thing he has to be is unselfish. Because a lot of times this player will sacrifice his up to bat in order to get the first baseman to second. And so he's got to be unselfish. Even when a ball looks really good and the manager gives him the sign to, to bunt and he's thinking, man, I feel it. I know I can hit. He's got to be willing to put himself second for the team. Third base, third hitter is the best hitter. Mickey will be happy to hear that usually he's the one that is the third in the softball leagues. Um, usually a left-hander. Reason is he's got to hit that ball to right field. He's got to get that guy from second home. High average, he's got to have good speed, make good contact. Power is not necessity, but it's a definite plus. Fourth hitter is just a big meathead pounder that can just crush the ball. Good power, good pitch selection. He knows how to read that. Fifth batter, he's got power. Sixth hitter, good contact. He could put it in play. Seventh hitter, much like the second hitter, he's got those attributes. But he's also a uh, he's also not that good of a hitter, but he can do it. Eighth batter, he's got a power. That's what he's got. He's got power. And of course, the last guy. What would you think? Worst player, worst hitter? No. Ninth is second leadoff man. He's got a good eye and he's fast. So teams will win the championship and and win or lose games based on how the manager sets up the lineup. Their strategy and their skill and each player knows their purpose. And and, and you'll see that some teams are are going a losing streak and the manager just makes a little tweak. I'm going to put you from from third to fifth and you from fifth to second and second to third. And all of a sudden, things just start cranking out. They start winning. And I'll tell you, that's why I like baseball because it's more than just this guy throwing a ball and this guy hitting it and this guy running. It's it's everything is detailed. And so they know their purpose as a, as a lineup. They know what they have to do. They know their weaknesses and they know that they, they, that, that's what they have to do. Is they've got a job to do. And as believers, as, as, as we see here, Christ is, is sharing and telling them, I am the true vine. He's telling them, know your purpose. You know your weakness. Yes, we are weak. We, 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 we have weaknesses in our lives. That's why we need each other as the body. And he's saying, know your purpose. I am the true vine. Let me be your source. Let me bring life into you. And so in John chapter 15, as we continue to read this portion in uh, verse 12 through 17, having a purpose with believers, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do not, you are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants for the servants does not know what his master is doing. But I call I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Christ is, is talking about love and he's talking to his disciples. And again, it's almost like he's, he's letting them know, um, remember this because I am going through something in a little, it's very soon, that, that you won't understand right now. He's saying, man, I'm about to be crucified. He knows that he's about to be crucified and that he's going to face, um, he's going to bear all of our sins. And he would leave the, the disciples with this. And at the very end, he says, so that you will love one another. As Christians, we're called to love each other. Yes, there's some of us that, that, that maybe um, have more personality. We get along with each other better. We, we understand that. But as believers, we're to love each other. My hope is, and, and I think, I would hope that all of our hope is, is that we can rely on each other in some way as the body. Now, that's not, okay, everybody uh, call each other up and, and share your deepest, darkest secret, you know, and, and that. It's, it's how many in this past year have had someone here in this church that you were able to say, I, I could go to them. I've been struggling inside. I've been struggling with my walk with God. I've been struggling in my marriage. I've been struggling with how to raise my kids. I've been struggling with this. I need someone to, to talk to. We need that. And he says, love one another. Jesus is letting them know that what true love is. And he's going to show them very soon. This, this, this unselfish, unconditional love that Christ would have by, by going to the cross. So tell you, if we try to love each other in our own flesh, it doesn't work. So how do we view our purpose with, with other believers? How do we view our purpose with each other? You know, I've uh, often had to... I've often gone to people that were older than me, wiser, and said, man, I, I, need, I, need, I need help. I need counsel. I need you to just encourage me. And I, honestly, man, I'm just going to come to you and I'm going to spill my guts to you and let you know everything. And it's, it's challenging because we don't like to be, be vulnerable. How many of you this morning, somebody said, hey, how are you doing today? And, and the answer was good. And how many deep down are really like, honestly, you don't want to know because it would take the whole service for me to explain to you. I know a pastor who one time somebody asked him, hey, how you doing? And he's not, not very good. And then they said, what? He goes, nothing. I'm just checking to see if you are listening. Because we often just say, good. Boom. You know, I had a, uh, you know, my prayer was always, God, I just want this old man, gray haired follower of you to like, just teach me. And just be able to bounce ideas off of. And, uh, and that's what I wanted for a long time. And I was able to get that guy. And uh, I'm really thankful for Judd. Who's, no, I'm kidding. Um, don't tell him I said he's got gray hair and old and um, decrepit. And, no, don't say any of that. Um, but, but I have that. And I've, 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 I texted him this morning. He said, hey, I'm praying for you. It's this old guy that I've known for, for a while who started a ministry and is huge and um, huge ministry. And uh, he's had coffee with me. And when we get together, he, he would say, how's your marriage? How are your kids? How's your walk with the Lord? And I'd, I'd have to answer. Man, how many times do we have that in our lives? Someone who's willing to say, how are you doing with your walk? 
in your walk. Here Christ is talking and he's, he's telling the disciples about, about love and what it means to, to, to have a friend and, and to love one another. And he says, um, greater love has no one than this. That's someone who laid down his life for his friends. I wonder if Christ accidentally said that or if he knew what would be coming. If he knew that, that he would be laying down his life for a friend. I could imagine if I'm a disciple and I'm sitting, sitting there and I'm listening to Christ and he would say that. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, I agree. And not knowing what, what, what Christ would really endure. Second is, how do we act with those who offend us? Those people who, who reject us, who clearly just made a, a point to not like us. Do we say, well, fine, I'm not going to like them. I'm not going to love them. Forget them. Or do we say, oh, God, how do we... How I love this person. So, are we in love with each other? Do we love each other? Now, this isn't to go up to someone after church like, I love you. I went hunting this year, and I'll tell you, when you go hunting, you don't want to tell the dude next to you you love him. He's got guns. So you don't do that. As a dude, you just don't do that. But do we love each other? But there is that. Do we just love each other as, as, as men and women of, of uh, the body? Do we love each other? Being intentional and being purposeful is how we love each other. Ask yourself, how was I intentional this past year in 2012 with believers, with, with you guys, with each other? Could it be better? Okay, well, how is it going to be different in 2013? What is my purpose for my body right here? These people that I call believers, these people that are, are so-called and us together, we're so-called Christians and we, we love each other. How are we going to be intentional about encouraging each other, about lifting each other up? You know, as I was looking at this, I, this portion, it caught me in, in verse 12. This is my commandment, the very beginning, that you love one another as I have loved you. And I thought about that and I said, man, here, I asked myself, how has Christ loved the disciples up to this point? Because he hasn't died. He hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't taken on their sins. So how until this point has Christ loved them? Because he said, love them as I've loved you. Yes, he's left. He's left heaven. He's come as a baby in a manger. He's, he's left his throne. He knows that. But how else has he loved them? He, he, he called them from being fishermen. He said, I believe in you. Follow me. He's, he's encouraged them. He's eaten with them. He's loved them. Just been with them. As believers, do we do that? Have we done that? Can we be better? I know Ben Daly this morning as we're in there, he said, man, it's, we're talking about just the kind of the trap in this valley of just being, um, what were we saying? Just, just being very like secluded, right? Were we saying that? striving after things and we get in this especially in this valley where we get into this this uh rut of our neighbor you say hi you open up your garage door you get in there and you close it and you are safe in this little house and we 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 are very just i don't want to connect with people right now i'm so busy and busyness is a big thing and and we're all busy and we all have families and we all have things we have to do and yes i'm not we're not saying i'm not saying hey we need to have each other over for dinner every night but what is our purpose 
How are we being intentional? In Galatians verse 5, verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And so in John chapter 15, as we continue in verse 18 through 27, having purpose with the culture, because now we've talked about our purpose with Christ. Man, Christ says, abide in me. That apart from me, you can do nothing. We've talked about abiding in, in, in or having purpose with each other as, as the body. But now having purpose with the culture, those that are outside these four walls. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember that the world that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you. On account of my name, because you do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me. And my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. It's pretty, uh, in your face promise if the world hates you know that they hated me first here Christ is talking to disciples and and of course we know how some disciples would 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 die and we we know that and and Christ saying man trust me they're going to hate you so here's the gospel in in just a nutshell Christ is basically saying follow me people are going to hate you they're going to persecute you you're probably going to die a brutal death and you get eternity with me And so now you're thinking, man, why do I want to follow Christ if that's his promise to me? I don't know. Just kidding. Because I thought of that. God, why? I don't know, God. Why? Why do I want to follow you? And I've I've learned this over my life and and just through through going through things in my life where I've said, man, God, I've been faithful. God, I've followed you. I left things. I left everyone. I've pursued you. Man, God, I've read your word. I've, I've prayed. I've, I've, I've gone to church. I've, I've helped with church. I've done ministry. Why do you allow this to happen? And all the time, it's, it's the Lord saying, I love you. That's it. There's no, okay, okay, God, now I know. Some things I'll never know. Some things we will never know until we get to heaven. God, why did you allow this to happen in my life? Why did my baby have to pass away? Why did this happen to my wife? Why did this happen to my husband? Why have I lost my jobs? God, why have, why have I suffered so long? Why do the wicked prosper, God? 
These guys don't even follow you, and yet they're, they're prospering. They're doing well financially. Their marriage looks great. They've got this and that, and God, they're, they seem to be happy. And God, here I am following you, and, and yet this is happening. Why? And God is saying, they're going to hate you. People are going to reject you because of what you stand for. He goes, but all these things they will do on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. So God is saying, Christ is saying here, they have no excuse. We have no excuse. As we read God's word, God, what do you want? What's your purpose for me in, in my life? Not only next year, but for my life with, with you. What's my purpose with, with believers? What's my purpose with this culture that, that we're in? You know, we've, uh, as we talk about that, as we just kind of see what we all know people and we all know um the reality of, of people living outside of Christ and, and issues they deal with and things they believe in. Um, a lot of times we get asked questions. Am I going to hell because, of, because I don't believe in your God? And that puts us in a place where we have to either answer or dodge. Think, man, what would Christ say? I love how one pastor, one pastor gets asked, so you're saying if a Muslim were, if you, had, if you were friends with a Muslim and they came over to your house and they asked you point blank, am I going to hell because I'm Muslim? What would you say? And he said, with tears in my eyes, I would look at them and say, yes, and I don't want you to because Christ came and died for your sins and you're going to a place that he didn't create for you. Often others would say, well, no, you, you just kind of dodge it, build that relationship with them, make sure they're comfortable, and then maybe they could slide it in in the Christmas card. Maybe, you know, say, God bless you, and, you know, just begin to kind of... And no, God isn't... Christ here doesn't always sugarcoat things. He rarely sugarcoated things. He stirred things up. And that's why he says they're going to hate you. And so we know the world will hate what we stand for. Do we stand for what's biblical, what God's word says, or do we, do we stand for what is socially acceptable right now? I like in Matthew, verse 11 through 13, excuse me, he says, And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here Christ would eat with the tax, uh, tax collectors, and it was not socially acceptable, and he would do it because he loved them. What's our role in that? How do we connect with, with those in our culture, those people that, that we know want nothing to do with, with our, our, our faith, with Christ? I want to show a video. It's, um, I like this video. It's a, it shows just, just a simple person sharing Christ.
This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet, oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. Now, is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. But he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own death, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James. He was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met. And never will. Culture and how and the people we connect with and people we talk to. The impact that you can have in, in, in your school and your job that you'll never know about. Like these two people who have never met. She'll never know what she did until she gets to heaven, until he gets to heaven. And they see each other and they hug and they yell and they're like, I can't believe it. The power that, 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 that comes through the Holy Spirit in our lives as we share Christ, as we have that over, just that joy that, that comes from within. As we shared, man, how Paul would say 
I've found joy and I'm content in whatever situation I'm in. Joy isn't where you're at financially, where you're at physically, the situation you're in. It's this deep joy inside that only comes with Christ. You know, in James, as I close it, James chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Our life is so quick. And, and, and really, as, as you look back in 2012 and as you look forward to 2013, asking yourself, what, what is my purpose with, with the Lord? What am I, what, what's my goal this year? Is it just to go and whatever happens, happens? What's my walk with um, my believers, my, my, my body? EDC, people here, people in, in the body of Christ. And what's my purpose in our culture? People that, that don't know Christ. And so as we close in prayer, I want to ask Ben to, to come up as he prays over communion. And if we could pass the elements. I really want this time to be a time with, with just you and the Lord and and saying, God, would you would you speak to me? Holy Spirit, would you just guide me this year as I embark on the last few days of 2012? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you, Jesus, for, for all that you've done and for your Son. For your Son, Christ, who would... Uh, Show us what unconditional love is. Lord, I pray that you'd, uh, you'd be with each of us. God, as we reflect on 2012 and what it's, what it's brought, God, challenges and hardship and good times and bad, Lord, I pray that uh, we would be eternally focused and that we would focus on you. Change us, Lord. Change me. Help me to be better a better follower of you, a more intimate follower of you. Help me have more purpose with my friends here, the body of believers, to be intentional. And God, to be intentional about those who are hurting, those who I work with, those who don't know you. And God, we, um, we just thank you. Maybe there's some here that wouldn't know Christ. That if you don't, a great opportunity to talk to those who, who brought you. That I want to know more about Christ. I want to accept Christ in my life. And so, Jesus, would you, would you tug at our hearts and would you speak to us? We thank you. Amen.